Thank you. You guys can have a seat. Welcome to Church in the Valley. My name is Jeremy Walker, and I help with the First Impressions team here at Church in the Valley. Uh, if you are new with us this morning, we want to give you a special welcome and tell you uh, we have been thinking about you. In fact, we have a gift for you over at the table. It's a book called How Good is Good Enough? Um, if you've ever wondered that question or you have someone that is close to you that has wondered that question, you're welcome to grab a copy of that. That's for free and take that with you uh, after service here this morning. When you guys all came in, you should have received a program from myself or Kelly coming in. And inside that are a list of things, some things coming up in church life, as well as a program for notes for today. You can also access that online at civalhambra.com forward slash Sunday. And inside there is also a connection card. And if you wouldn't mind, uh, just everyone this morning, filling one of those out. And if you're a regular attender here, just marking anything you need uh, information on or signing up for or just uh, checking boxes that apply to you. And if you're a guest, uh, just anything that you feel comfortable sharing on that card would be helpful for us to get to know you a little bit better. There's an opportunity to put prayer requests on the back or um, things that you would like more information about. And if you're a guest also, just let us know if this is your first or second time or if you're an out-of-town guest, that'd be helpful for us to get to know you as well. And then you guys can drop those in the different baskets that are placed around uh, the courtyard here this morning. And then at the end of the service, too, if you wouldn't mind just dropping your pins in the buckets as well so we can have those for future weeks, that'd be also be helpful. Uh, if any of you are planning to give this morning, you can do that either online at the website or you can also do that on the same table that has the books. There is a bucket there for offering. You can just drop it in that um, bucket in person. Now, I have a handful of other announcements, so... Buckle up, and we'll get going here. But starting off, membership renewal of 2022. Uh, inside your program, there should also be a membership renewal card. And if you are a member here and you're wanting to renew your membership and continue to be partnering with things here at Church in the Valley, you go, go ahead and feel free to read through that and, um, and mark that on the card and sign that and turn that into the, the buckets as well. That would be helpful for us to know. If you're not a member here at Church in the Valley and that, that card can be really helpful for you to kind of learn a little bit more about um, what members here are committing to and being a part of, of church life. And uh, if you have more questions about that, we would love to get more information to you about that. And one of the announcements here in a bit will be more related to that as well. But today, we also have a baptism uh, overview, and that's going to be at 1115, just to my left over under the orange umbrellas. Uh, for those of you that are interested and getting baptized on April 10th or just wanting more information about baptism in general, there's going to be uh, one little mini time led by Stacy for uh, the children and then uh, Jeep for the adults. And again, that's over to the Orange Umbrellas to my left at 11.15 after service today. And then if you also are interested, as we're talking about membership, just learning more about what uh, Church in the Valley is about and how to become a member, if you're interested in doing that, we have a Discovering uh, Church in the Valley class that's going to be happening Sunday, April 3rd from 1115 uh, to 145 and lunch and child care is provided for that if you want to be a part of that and that's a great time to come and ask questions uh, any questions you've ever had to some of the people that are leading it as well as just kind of learning more about who we are at, uh, as, uh, as a church and what we're trying to accomplish together and, and how you can be a part of that um, so if you're interested in doing that feel free to sign that on sign up for that on your connection card so we can plan for the, the amount of people and food and all that that's coming and then Sunday, April 10th, is uh, going to be our baptism that we're having up uh, for this time of the year. And that's going to be at 11.15 right here behind the courtyard. And uh, that'd be a great, if you're, even if you're not getting baptized, boy, I encourage you to stick around. It's a great opportunity for us to be able to celebrate 
with people that are and just kind of uh, encourage them as they're making a big step in, you know, going public with that they've decided to follow Jesus. So, and then that same day uh, in the afternoon, we're going to be having the Lord's Supper, and that's going to be here in the courtyard from 3.30 to 5 p.m. And, uh, you know, the Lord's Supper is, and child care will be provided for that too, by the way, in case you're thinking, what do I do with my kids? Um, but um, the Lord's Supper is also a really a great time for people that have decided they are in the kingdom of God. They've decided to follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And this is a great time for us to come together and do a couple of things. One, to really remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf on the cross. And also just have some unhurried time, not that we don't do it other times, but to check how our relationship with God is going and uh, in relationship with other people, to be able to have some time for that, to be able to worship him and celebrate him. And also just to really anticipate and look forward to the time when we're going to be able to do this together forever in heaven of getting to uh, be with God in person again and be able to celebrate with him and just enjoy uh, time together. So if you're planning on coming to that, if you wouldn't mind RSVPing for that also on your connection card or through the QR code in your program, that would help us to kind of know for numbers for that as well. And then last but not least, we're at the last announcement. Uh, th this Sunday will be the, the end of our time as we're doing uh, Sunday service live stream. Um, we've been encouraged that the pandemic conditions are getting better. So uh, the, the need has kind of diminished for us to do live streaming as a church. We will still have messages, you know, recorded and online for people that aren't able to be here in person uh, on a given Sunday to be able to listen to that at a later given time. But uh, the, the live stream portion of that we're going to uh, discontinue after this Sunday. And we'll also, uh, this will be the last week that we're doing children's lessons online uh, for those people that are, are not here in person. So be encouraged. We have uh, opportunities to be able to connect more in the days ahead. So let me, uh, let me pray for us quick, and then we're going to continue to worship before we invite John Taylor up here to give our message. So Father, uh, thank you so much for the way that you have uh, gifted so many people here in various roles and allowed them to um, us to really partner together and not only be encouraging one another in our walks with God, but to uh, work together to really reach people in our, our works and our neighborhoods and in our community. God, I pray that we would continue to do that and that we would um, take the things that we learn here today and then as we disseminate out into the week to really apply those and to really be salt and light in the various areas of our lives. I pray us in Jesus' name. Amen. Surgeon, my 
fall into grace I'm done with the hiding There's no reason to wait My heart found a surgeon My soul found a friend So I run to the Father Again and again And again and again Oh Father, we thank you for your goodness to us arms are always around us, that your heart is for us, that your presence is with us all the time. So Lord, we lay down our inhibitions, we lay down all our fears, all our doubts, all our anger. Lord, everything that we are feeling, you are near to us. Thank you for holding our hearts. Thank you for being with us. Would you open our eyes and open our ears? things you have to show us and the things you want to say to us this morning. Would you give John the words to speak? And may encourage and edify us. We love you. We love you. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said Can you hear now that, uh, that uh, Corinthians had... <laughs> First of all, just to thank all the people who work on the sound and everything every week and uh, appreciate you very much. And also the people who led us in worship this morning, really appreciate that and thanks for doing such a great job. Now, today is the birthday of one of our four children. He's no longer a child, but he's living in, in, uh, in Denver. And, uh, but I was thinking about gifts, because uh, it's birthday today. And today we're talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And some people get a bit concerned about gifts of the Spirit, because they think, why is God giving us such weird gifts? Really, I mean, what's, this is strange. Believe me, God's gifts are perfectly rational and reasonable, especially compared to our gifts that we give each other. I looked up a few, uh, and uh, you know, you, there are people out there, there's some weird, very weird gifts out, ideas out there, and some people, for example, you can buy, this is, for, this is true, you can buy candles uh, to, to give a special presence for your loved ones, uh, that's candles that smell like moldy towels. And, and uh, they're very popular. And another, very even more popular candles are ones that smell like armpits. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I don't have one in my house, but uh, apparently those are popular gifts. And the best one I found was this, uh, a plastic yodeling pickle. Yes, it's a big green plastic pickle that yodels. And the tagline is this, are you sick and tired of trying to teach your pickles to yodel? Pickles can be so stubborn. At last, 
<laughs> yodeling fickle you've been waiting for. So, you know, if we, uh, compared to that, the gifts of the Spirit we're going to talk about today are the most sensible things in the world. And not only that, they're powerful and wonderful and they speak the truth. We're talking for the next, for this session and the next two that I'm doing, uh, we'll be talking from 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. We're in a series on life in the Spirit, talking about the work of the Holy Spirit and living in the Holy Spirit. And we've looked at a whole range of passages. We've looked at uh, the book of Luke, book of Acts. We've looked at the book of Romans. Uh, we've looked at Ephesians. And last week, we looked at the book of John. And we saw about the Holy Spirit there working both in the, the church and in the world, the spirit of truth and the one who comes as our helper. And so now we come to think about the, the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to the church and ask sort of why, is, why does he do that? What's that all about? The context here in 1 Corinthians, just think about this letter. If you haven't read 1 Corinthians yet, can I encourage you to go home and read it today and just... Make sure that you're sort of up with what's happening in this whole letter. But this is written to a church in Corinth, which is in Greece, in the southern part of Greece. And it's a church that's really struggling with how they live as Christians in connection with the world around them. They're being influenced in all kinds of ways by the culture and uh, the life of the city and, uh, and everything that's happening there. Some of Paul's letters and some of the other letters in the New Testament are written really about internal things that are happening in the church. You know, they're, they're uh, some uh, theological issue or problem they're having amongst each other. But 1 Corinthians has got a bit of that, but really it's much more about how does this church live uh, in the world in a way that's transformative to the world uh, without uh, corrupting the church. And so that's what this, is, this letter is about. And right before our passage, it's talking about the church's meals, how they gather together to eat together. And in fact, in the first century church, uh, if you, a, a, a meeting was an eating, right? I mean, you basically, you got together to eat. You got to, that was the dinner or the meal was at the very center of, every, of pretty much every church gathering that you had. And, uh, and so all of Batch the whole of 1 Corinthians from halfway through chapter 10 all the way to the end of chapter 14. That really large section of the letter is all about when you come together, about gatherings to eat and to meet, to, to worship, to pray, and to share the Lord's Supper together. So that's what this is about. And so, and, and typically in the first century world, if you had a, a, a formal meal, not formal in the sense you have to wear a fancy clothes, but a, a, a gathering, a, an invited gathering of, for, for dinner or a meal, uh, whether you're in the church or in, a, in some other group, uh, you, the meals function pretty much the same way every time. You start with the meal, and somewhere in that meal you'd have uh, some bread, and, and then you'd, at the end of the meal there would be a cup of wine, and then uh, that would sort of mark the transition to the meeting start uh, part of the of the gathering, and so then uh, and so if there was a pagan uh, meeting, they'd pour out this cup to uh, whatever god they're worshiping, and if it was Christians, that would, that would be the cup in the Lord's Supper, 
and then that would transition into whatever you know your meeting was about. So if you're a philosophy group and you'd philosophize, or if you were, you know, sometimes it was just a party, you'd, that's when you bring on the entertainment and so on. In the church, that's when they kind of transition into singing and worship and prayer and, uh, and that kind of thing and, and using their spiritual gifts and, uh, in, in, and, uh, and so on and teaching. And that's what happened in the early church. And it's in that context then we, that we pick up our passage. But before we do that, we're going to visit just briefly, and it's not on the overhead, but uh, back to uh, the overhead. That tells you how old I am, right? I use the word overhead. But uh, uh, now, in chapter 1, Paul says something about gifts of the Spirit, and that'll help us lead into what he's going to say in chapter 12. Because the gifts are manifestations of God's presence and grace in Christ. Chapter 1, verses 4 to 7, Paul says this, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. By the way, when Paul talks about the grace of God that's given, that particular expression, he's, he's almost you know, pretty much in every case talking about ministries or gifts of this, that God gives us. The grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you are enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a church that's been getting in trouble because of the way that they use gifts of the Holy Spirit. They, they're, they're being, in, in the chapters, we're going to look particularly at chapter 14, they're being rebuked for the wrong way that they use some of the gifts of the Spirit. But it's, Paul is not saying just cut it out. In fact, he celebrates with them the fact that they are not lacking any gift as they wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so, uh, and he says they were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge. So the gifts are part of God's giving of grace. They're not lacking any gift. This is God's intention for the church. And remember that these gifts are given in Christ Jesus. Now, in chapter 12, as we're going to see, he's going to talk about the gifts as the Spirit chooses and enables those gifts to work. But here he's emphasizing that they are in Christ. And there's no separation, you see, in between the Spirit and Christ. And this is a really fundamental thing I want to say, particularly for those who've been around church life for a while. There are those churches that emphasize the work of Christ wonderfully so, but they forget the Spirit you know, to some degree. And there are churches that emphasize the work of the Spirit, but you can forget Christ a bit. And so we've got to keep those things together. For the second century theologian Irenaeus talked about the two hands of God. He's talking about the Son of God and the Spirit of God as God sends the Son into the world and the Spirit into the world. And, uh, and we've got to, they've got to be together. We've got to keep them together and uh, never, never uh, abandon one for the other. That would be uh, denying what both of them are about. Now, let's move to our passage now, starting in 1 Corinthians uh, 12, and we'll just read the first three verses to begin with. We're going to talk about overcoming ignorance of spiritual gifts. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. I do not want you not to know, is what he says. 
You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And there's just a couple of things I want to bring out of this passage. First of all, uh, information is needed. Now, don't be satisfied with ignorance. Some people think about gifts and uh, they think, oh, that's a bit scary or it's a bit mysterious. I don't know. I'm not, you know, I don't just leave that aside, one of those strange things. We don't want to be in arguments about it, so let's leave it. That's the opposite of what Paul says here. He says, no, you've got to know. This is something you really want to know about. He doesn't want you to be ignorant. That's why he spent the next three chapters talking about it. And, and so these are worthy of study because they are doing exactly what Paul's saying here. We've got to be informed. Second thing is that false understandings of these gifts abound. Paul reminds them of when they were pagans. They were idol worshippers, polytheists, worshipping multiple gods. And they were led astray to idols. But they were idols which are dumb. That is, idols which cannot speak. They are idols which uh, don't speak because they're idols. They're rock and wood and, and stone and so on. And that was uh, one of the very common critiques of idolatry in the Old Testament as the prophets of the monotheistic Israel prophet, you know, spoke against the idol worship of the nations around them. One of the things they pointed out is the problem with the idols is that they don't speak because they're just rocks and wood and so on that you make. The difference is that, you know, and so here is that the living God is not only alive, but he speaks. And so the gifts of the Spirit that we're going to learn about uh, are one of the ways that God speaks to and in the church and through the church. And so we never want to be in the position of understanding the spiritual gifts of, of the Holy Spirit in a way that pagans understand their idols. That is, things that we create that are dumb, that can't speak, and or the idea that, for example, that there are multiple spirits speaking. Uh, and what Paul is going to say again and again in this passage, you can have multiple gifts, but only one spirit, only one God. And you'll notice here that the spirit testifies to Jesus in verse 3, right? No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And no one ever speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. Is a translation issue? Is, it, is he saying, uh, some people argue that... He, that instead of Jesus accursed here, we should be saying no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus bring a curse. In other words, that uh, that would be someone cursing in the name of Jesus. Say, no, don't do that. Either way, uh, the point is very clear that the Spirit and Jesus go together and that the Lordship of Jesus is over the use of the, Holy, of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's move to verse 4 to 6. Variety and unity. Look for this in this passage. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Notice we've got three words here. Gifts, service, or activities. The word service here would be uh, ministries, something like that. Gifts, ministries, and Thing, activities or things that you do. 
And that's a lot of variety right there, right? Lots of gifts, lots of ministries, lots of things that we do in the Lord. But notice that all this incredible variety is held together by tremendous unity. The same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God. I want you to see it in this passage that we've got a subtle Trinitarian or triune reference. We've got the Spirit there, we've got God, and we've got the Lord. And we know who this, in, in, this Lord is the Lord that was just talked about in verse 3, where it says, Jesus is Lord. So you notice that the gifts come from the Spirit, from Jesus, and from God, that is God the Father. The whole of the Trinity is involved with the giving, empowering of the church with his gifts. This is a wonderful truth and something that the use of the gifts in the various ways we're supposed to use them displays in the church. The variety of gifts and activities and ministries that we're supposed to be doing in the, for the Lord spring from a single triune source, right? There's unity and diversity in the church because there is unity and diversity or distinction in the one God himself. The variety of gifts that are unified in the Holy Spirit derive listen, from the unity of God himself and the distinction between the divine persons, that is between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The unity and diversity of the body of Christ expressed in such a variety of gifts is meant to bear witness, to testify to the nature and character of God himself. That the church as the body of Christ in the world is intended as a visible sign or witness to the world. The invisible God is made visible through the rich variety of gifts with which the one spirit has endowed the church. Well, notice the last thing in this passage of verse 6 there. The same God who empowers them all in everyone. That's presence for everyone. That sounds like Christmas to me, right? Presence for everyone. The picture portrayed in these chapters is of a gift-giving God. The spiritual gifts are designed to do good, and he speaks, this speaks to the benevolent character of the one who gives them. The gifts of the Spirit, on, on the other hand, are on their own are insufficient to paint the appropriate portrait of the invisible God. As we shall see the next, in the next chapter, chapter 13. But they're still absolutely vital. <coughs> now we move to verse 7 to 11. The gifts make God visible. The, in, the gifts of the Spirit make the invisible God visible in the church. And this is a really important thing and what I really want to focus on today. Very important that you get a hold of this. All right? God is invisible. You can't see him. You can know him. But you can't see him. And there are various ways that God has chosen or equipped the church to manifest his presence, his reality, his character, his power, his nature in the world. One of those is through our character, the godly character. We'll talk more about that next time. Another of that is, is through the message that we bring. We preach the word of God. We bring the gospel. Another is 
through our work, our ordinary human activities in the world, our, 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 our living family life, uh, working in your employment, uh, the things that we do. We're meant to express the, the, create, the divine creativity and character in, in the ordinary things of life. But the gifts of the Spirit uh, are, are one of those things that God gives us, and it's a very powerful one, to reveal him to the world and amongst us in the church. So let's read this passage, verse 7 to 11, of 1 Corinthians 12. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one through the Spirit is given the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To a different one, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another, the working of miracles. And to another, prophecy. To another, the discerning of spirits. To a different one, kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. The one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he will. So I read out, what I read out was slightly different from what's on the screen because I, I just I did a bit of my own translation work here to bring out some points. But to, to start with, chapter, with verse 7 here, to each one is given, that is to each believer, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is a powerful and significant verse here, right? That is, the gifts of the Spirit are given to each believer, everyone in the church receives the gifts of God. Just, just something to know, right? It's not the, the church is not a few people, a few gifted people and a bunch of others who just listen, right? The church is about everyone who has the gifts, who has the Spirit using their gifts. The, uh, the second thing is that they're given, right? You're not paid for, you can't earn them. They're gifts. <laughs> That's just so important. Right? How you, how, do you get, how do you persuade God to give you gifts? Well, you can't earn it. You can't manipulate him. You can't pay for it. You've got to trust him. You can ask, though. We notice that it says the gifts are the manifestation of the Spirit. I've said today that the, the, the spiritual gifts make the invisible God visible in the church. They, port, they are portraits of the invisible God. And so they are manifestations of the Spirit. That word manifestation means something that's made, when something is made visible. It's something that, that's brought to the light, something that you can see. And that's what the gifts do. They are, a, the gifts are a form of divine self-disclosure. God disclosing himself to the world in the church through the gifts that he gives. And we're going to talk about this a bit more and explain what, how that works. And they're given for the common good. The wonderful thing about spiritual gifts is that when God gives you a gift, it's not for you particularly. It is for you, but it's not just for you. It's for you to bless someone else. Right? God gives you a gift so that you can pass it on. You can pass on the love of God through that gift to someone else or to the church. That's what the gifts are for. They are inherently unselfish, right? They're inherently other-focused. You receive a gift not to make you puff you up, make you feel proud, not to impress you, impress others, but to pass on whatever that gift allows you to do for the good of other people. Now, that's why for they're for the common good. 
Your gifts are not to keep to yourself. They're for the common good. And, uh, and, and that's, the spiritual gifts are not something you can hoard. They're not something you can lock away and then build up a treasury. You know, they don't bear interest if they're kept in the bank. Spiritual gifts, they work by giving them away, by giving them and passing them on, by using them, that is, for the good of others, for the common good of the church. And for people outside the church, for that matter. So, let's think about how these gifts display the nature and power of God. There's, there's nine gifts that he mentions here uh, in, this, in this list. And, you know, some people argue that this is just kind of representative. Uh, we get other gifts mentioned in ver verses 28 and 29. And there are other lists in the letters of Paul. Romans 12, for example, has another list. Ephesians 4 has another list. And none of the lists are exactly the same. They all have overlaps. And so we probably think these, these are kind of representative lists. But they are, nevertheless, they are not unimportant. They're here for a reason. The way that the Greek, in the original Greek that this was written in, uh, of this passage of, of, the, of the nine gifts, the way that it's written divides these, these nine gifts up into three groups, right? There's two and five and two is how they're basically done. And uh, it's hard to see that in English translations. I tried to bring that, out, bring that out in my translation when I was reading it, but it, that's how it's structured. So the first two are what our text calls the utterance of knowledge, or the utterance of wisdom, or some, some translations say the word of wisdom, and the utterance or the word of knowledge. Let's think about this. This is not a difficult question. If I ask you, how does the gift of wisdom or knowledge display God in the church? What does that speak to? Uh, what does that show people about the Lord? Just think about that. Well, if, if you had a gift of wisdom, whatever that gift is, what does a gift of wisdom show about God? in the church and in the world? Not a, this is not a trick question. It's a real easy one. It shows what? His wisdom, right? His knowledge. That's what it shows. How do we display to, how do we display in the church and in the world that God is wise and God is all-knowing by using our gifts of knowledge and wisdom? That's that's really basically obvious. It doesn't take a great intellect to work that one out. But that's how it works, right? Uh, we already read in, from chapter 1 uh, where Paul says, In every way you were enriched in him, that is in Christ, in all speech and all knowledge. In the first couple of chapters of 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking about uh, the gospel speaking in a world, speaking to a world uh, that values uh, that overvalues human wisdom and human knowledge uh, and undervalues, uh, you know, d the gospel. And so he's talking to them about, you know, uh, the simplicity and the purity of the gospel as being Christ crucified. Uh, in a, that's a kind of foolish message in a world that uh, is impressed with their own learning and their own philosophical prowess and their own intellectual power. And, and yet that's a, that's, a, that's a message that is wiser than all of the wisdom of the world. 
And so it's no surprise then that the first two gifts uh, that Paul mentioned in this list other thing, uh, pick up that same notion. It turns out, uh, because in, in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, look, there is a, tr- a real wisdom. There is, a, 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 if you like, a spiritual wisdom. There is a wisdom, a secret, and his wisdom of God, he calls it, and that the rulers of this age, they, they don't understand. But he says, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in, not in, in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit. So the gospel is not, a, you know, the simplicity of the gospel and the, in a, uh, the, of the, the message of Christ crucified is not something that abandons intellect. It's not something that we have to, you know, if you become a Christian, you don't have to fry your brains. It doesn't, you have to throw your brains out, right? Uh, You don't have to accept, uh, uh, you don't have to sort of believe five unbelievable things before breakfast in order to be a Christian, right? It is, in fact, so wise, so intelligent, so makes sense, so ultimately reasonable to be a believer, follow the Lord Jesus Christ but this is a wisdom that without the work of the spirit the world cannot understand the same with and so gifts of wisdom and knowledge speak to about the wisdom and knowledge of God God knows everything and nothing he doesn't know now I don't know fully what Paul meant by words of wisdom and knowledge in terms of how that actually was expressed in the church Uh, but I think it leaves a lot of room for God to impart his wisdom, his knowledge uh, to believers through the power of the Spirit. But the truth is God knows everything. I'll, take you, I'll, I'll give you at least one very, very simple example that happened in my life when I was a young Christian and I was doing some, uh, some outreach in, in Sydney, Australia. And I was talking to this guy from Lebanon. He had been a refugee from the Civil War and... Uh, in Lebanon and uh, we're trying to just tell him how Jesus loved him how God wanted to have a personal relationship with him how he the Lord loved him and he he just wasn't getting it he just couldn't comprehend the goodness of God it was it was he had a warped picture of God and he just couldn't comprehend and I was in my mind I'm saying God help me help me what do I say to this guy what can we get through this barrier and uh, anyway it just dropped into my head wasn't great flash or you know a vision or anything, but I just, I just that I should uh, that something happened when he was ten years old that was important. So I didn't know this had never happened. Nothing like this had ever happened before. So I was a bit nervous. I said, uh, "What happened when you were ten years old?" And he said, "Nothing," and kept talking. Yeah, about five minutes later in the conversation, he suddenly said, "Look, I'll tell you what happened when I was ten years old." He said, my father worked in a factory and he used to steal equipment and goods from the factory and he would go and sell them to this other man. And I watched my father doing this and I followed him and I saw him doing this. He said, so one day I went to my father's factory where he worked. I stole some of the same things and I went and sold them to the same man, except my father caught me. And he got a length of rubber garden hose and he beat me uh, and for, to his 10-year-old mind, it seemed like it was for hours. It's, he beat him 
for a long, long time for doing the, exactly the same thing that he'd seen his father do. Then he, and at that, suddenly, everything started pouring out of his heart, how he'd been captured by the other side in the Civil War and tortured by being beaten on the feet with canes. All the kind of things that had happened to him suddenly just poured out. And at the end of all this, he gave his life to Jesus. And pretty soon later, soon afterwards, he was baptized. Something happened. He just found out that God knew about him and about his trials and his things that had happened. God knows everything. And that was enough to break through this wall of pain and unbelief that was in his life. Now, you know, that sort of thing hasn't happened to me every day. All I'm saying is God knows, God knows everything. God is all wise and all knowing. He can pass it on when we need it. Amen? Now, Let's look at the other gifts here. The second group of gifts are gifts to do with, mainly to do with power. They are uh, faith, uh, gifts of healings, prophecy, and discerning of spirits. Yeah, back into 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul, earlier Paul talks about you know, Greeks who are looking for wisdom. He says Jews are looking for science. But you know, well, we preach the gospel of Christ crucified. And, and so... Just as there is a true wisdom that comes from above, that comes from God, that can be imparted by the Spirit, there are also, there is a place for science, for those things that are, as what Paul calls in chapter 2, verse 4, the demonstration of the Spirit and power. Where he, where he was really talking about how the Spirit, working through Paul as he proclaimed the gospel, demonstrated the, and proved the power of God at work in the gospel, the miracles that Paul was involved with provoked faith. Now we can, you know, we can think about how do these gifts display the divine character? How do they sh show God in the world, right? Uh, it's not that difficult. You know, if you pray for someone and they get healed, uh, what does that tell them about the Lord? Tells them his, about his love, his compassion, his power, right? It, it very important things about who, who Christ is can get displayed through these gifts. Gifts of faith, talk, you know, usually, usually thought of as being that kind of faith that moves mountains, that does extraordinary things. Uh, discerning, uh, you know, I was thinking of uh, healings, I was thinking of time I was in, in, Afri in uh, West Africa and uh, praying for... I was preaching at a church and, and, and someone asked me to pray for them and someone got healed that night. And so the next day, uh, or a couple of days later, um, someone from the church came up to where I was staying and took me down to the local village hospital or the city hospital and said, we want you to pray for these sick people in the hospital. <laughs> really? You know? Uh, okay. <laughs> you know, It's not me. You know, it's, like, it's the Lord. It's not my power. But they took me around praying for people in the hospital and I came, we came to one girl who was, uh, something had happened uh, to her spine and she was in a plaster cast uh, from, from neck uh, to, uh, to knee, literally, lying there, unable to move and they're trying to just, and uh, so we prayed for her and went away. I didn't know anything more about it. 
Uh, but about three months later, a couple of guys from, from that country in West Africa came through uh, where I was living. And I said, what happened to that girl we prayed for in the hospital? I said, oh, yeah, she was healed. Uh, she got up and, uh, and she was so excited about the Lord. She went back to her, her hometown and started a Bible study, started reaching people for Jesus. So, oh, praise the Lord. You know, it's, uh, it was one of those things where the, the gift displayed something about the Lord to this girl and led her to keep serving God and, and to, you know, to, to really press on in the Lord. Um, the gift of prophecy, we're going to come back to in a couple, uh, in a couple of weeks. So I'll talk about more that, about that then. Uh, but it is a sign in the scriptures of the presence of God, right? God by his spirit, and it portrays a God who speaks, a God who communicates. Now, exactly what prophecy is, we're going to come back to in another week because it's, it's, there's not enough time to talk about that this morning. But it is a way that God speaks, and we'll have to think about that. Discerning of spirits. Uh, you know, I'm trying to give examples here because there's so many ways that these things can happen. And so any example, I don't want you to be held into thinking that by my examples, they're the only ways these things can happen. There's lots of ways these gifts can be manifested. As Paul said in the first part of the chapter, right? There are varieties of gifts, varieties of service, varieties of ways to do these things. Uh, we, we don't have to be held to particular examples. But there was a time I spoke at a conference in Ireland and uh, there was a girl there who had brought her sister to the... It was a Christian conference. Uh, the girl had brought her sister to the conference. The girl was a Christian. Her sister was not. In fact, the, the, the sister was an atheist and didn't believe and... and uh, but somehow was persuaded to come to this Christian event with her sister. And she was a, this girl who was an atheist. She was a, a college student and very intelligent girl. Those things don't always go together, college student and intelligent, I know. But uh, I, I know they do here. I mean, the, I, can feel, I can feel the waves of intellect coming as I'm speaking here. But... Uh, After being at this conference for a few days and seeing the love of the people around, seeing the joy that they had, seeing the, the, the fellowship and the believers, this girl who'd come as a, as a kind of very determined non-Christian wanted to come and talk to me. I was one of the speakers there. And so her sister came and they, the two of them came and we'd had a chat and she said, look, I see what you have. I see what you and, and your friends have. You have this joy, you have this hope. He said, I just, I can't believe it, but I want, I'd like it, I want it, but I can't believe it. And we talked more about her background. It turns out that in college she was doing philosophy and uh, that her favorite professor was a nihilist. Literally, I mean, not only just accidentally a nihilist, a, a deliberate philosophical nihilist. That means he really be believed and taught there was no meaning and no purpose about anything in life. And that was his teaching. And of course, where does that teaching lead you to? Only leads uh, to either moral abandonment to whatever feels better, or it leads to total despair and hopelessness. And that's where she was at. She was in total darkness and despair. She could not believe if she wanted to. And I, as we're talking, I was asking Jesus, saying, help me, Lord, what do I do here? And I, I felt the Lord speak to me. She's really, Satan's really bound her. It's like Second Corinthians 4, 4 talks about, you know, uh, uh, about the God of this world blinds the minds of unbelievers. And, and so she, 
I, I just felt like the Lord tell, tell me she's got this spirit of unbelief that's really binding her and is a non-Christian girl. So I said to her, you know, she didn't, can we pray for you and cast out the spirit of unbelief, I said. That's what I felt the Lord had given me this discernment about. To my surprise, she said yes. You know, she wanted something. and So we prayed for her. It wasn't dramatic, but we prayed. And, uh, and you know, uh, she gave her life to Jesus that day. Now, you never know about these things, but I met her about two years later, happened to meet her in the city of London. She was coming through just absolutely radiant Christian woman uh, involved in Christian leadership in her college now, uh, just full of the Lord, reaching out, reaching other people, becoming a leader in the Lord, and God transformed her. So these are things, these gifts are powerful as the Lord uses them. They, rep they represent in the church God's compassion, his understanding, his direction, his word, his presence, his power. The last two gifts in the list are these two, the kinds of tongues and translations of tongues. These are, I think, left till last because these are the two that he's going to then develop further, particularly in chapter 14, along with prophecy. Now, and, and so I'll talk more about those again another week, but just to say here that the gift of, of, of being able to speak other languages, particularly, I think, in worship and prayer and praise, uh, is what I think, and, and then for someone to be able to translate those, uh, now, we can ask ourselves, why would God give that? I mean, that's, that's not quite as weird as a yodeling pickle, pickle but it is it's kind of odd. Uh, why would God do that? We'll talk more about that another time. But I think uh, there's a wonderful thing. It, it, it portrays a God who hears and the prayers and praises of all the nations of the world. And that's what it portrays. Anyway, we'll talk about that another time. The last thing that this passage says is, this is the will of the Spirit. All these gifts are given uh, by the will of the Spirit. Have a look at this passage again, just briefly. Right? Look at the way it's put. Through the Spirit is given the utterance of wisdom. Now the utterance of knowledge through the same Spirit to a different one, different one, faith by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And then verse 11, the one and the same Spirit, right? Works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. There's an emphasis there. You can see that? It's all the incredible variety of, of gifts given by the one and the same Spirit. And to a polytheistic pagan world, this is really important. All these different manifestations of God's power, presence, and person are not representing different gods, deities, spirits, or powers at work. These are all from the one God who in himself has a complex unity of Father, Son, and Spirit in relationship exemplifying that in the church through the rich variety of gifts that he gives. Each gift then portrays the, the invisible God in our midst and is therefore 
absolutely necessary, in my view. Now, just a bit of church history to finish off. We know that the gifts of the Spirit have become or have been in the church a source of contention in various churches for, well, let's say centuries. In fact, uh, at the end of uh, 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, now, don't forbid speaking in tongues. And then even earlier letter of Paul's, 1 Thessalonians, which is probably the first letter we have uh, of Paul's, uh, the end of that letter, he says, you know, uh, don't quench the spirit, don't despise prophecy. These are the earliest documents written relating the gifts of the spirit that we have. And in, in both of those, apparently there's some controversy over spiritual gifts. So if in, in the 21st century, if that's still happening, it's no surprise it was happening in the first century. And so, you know, I recognize that and that there's a lot of opinions about these. And, and my job is not to say these are people are wrong and these ones are right. My job is to get you to read the Bible well, to say, okay, what's the Bible actually say about these things? And, to, and, and for you to read it and, and, and consider it and, and reflect on the Word of God itself. Whatever I might say from my life, my history, my examples, those are witnesses maybe, but they're not ultimately persuasive. We've got to be persuaded, if you're going to be persuaded, by the Scripture itself. And we'll talk more about that next time, about what the Scripture says about the continuity of these gifts. Uh, I think it's a great shame that the church has been so divided over uh, the thing that's meant to unite us, which is the spirit that we all share. And, and so the last thing I want to do is provoke any kind of dissension or, or disunity. I'd rather get us seeking God together and delighting in the diversity that God brings to the church through the richness of the different gifts and ministries that he gives among us. The message I want you to hear today, and we're not going to finish the, the notes from today, we'll do that next time. But the message I want you to hear from today is this, that the gifts are given to, de to manifest the Spirit for the common good. That is, they, they portray the invisible God in all sorts of wonderful ways in the church and through the church to the world. And that's something that really needs to happen. You know, if you have a gift of mercy, that gift is necessary not just because it's good to be merciful, but because it portrays the, character, the merciful character of God in the church, in the world. If you have a gift of knowledge, it portrays the all-knowing God. If you have a gift of wisdom, it portrays the all-wise God. If you have a gift of healing, it portrays the power and compassion, If you have a, you know, and so on, right? And so the gifts, are, they must be used, not because we want to impress other people with how gifted we are, but because we want people to see through us the glory, the power, the majesty, the wonder of the invisible God who has gifted the church to put, and placed us in the world, empowered by his spirit to portray him to the world through, his, through the gifts that he gives us. Amen? All right, let's pray and then we'll carry on with some worship here. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for your love. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your presence. We thank you for the gifts of the Spirit that you give to the church.
There's a lot we still have to learn about these things, a lot we don't understand. But Lord, you're a God of wisdom and understanding and knowledge. And we can come to you for the answers. Lord, in Jesus' name, we pray that uh, you would give us wisdom about these things. And Lord, not only that, you'd give to us uh, the opportunity and the, the, and the paths and the practices to enable us to display your character and your power and your nature in the world and in the church through the gifts that you have given us. Let us not hold your goodness to ourself, but give it away in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, John. Would you stand with us as we continue to worship?
want me to be I came here with nothing but all you have given me Jesus bring you wine out of me Jesus bring you wine out of me
Father, you are the God who does great things, Lord. You've given us your spirit. You've given us your gifts, Lord. And so we pray that as we, as we look at all that you have given us, that we would be faithful with what you have gifted us with, Lord. It's not of our own strength. It's not of our own words, our own wisdom, our own might, Lord. It really is you. All that we have comes from you. All that we will do comes from you. So I pray that your spirit would rest upon us as we go out into this week, and that we would glorify you in all that we say and all that we do. We love you, Lord, and we ask these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, thank you guys for joining us. We'll see you next week.